Hello and welcome to Her Podcast, a reflection on the best bits Her Campus Bristol has to offer. I am your host, Dulcie Godfrey. Hello, welcome back. I hope you're all staying positive and testing negative. As we venture deeper into the festive season, I thought it was worth mentioning the UN 16 Days of Activism to Battle Gender-Based Violence. I hope to mention just some of the events Her Campus Bristol and other societies put on. In the majority of cases of sexual violence, women are the ones who suffer. This not only affects women, their families and communities, but it also undermines the stability and prosperity of whole societies. I think that all societies worldwide continue to be influenced by patriarchal beliefs. So I think that as individuals, we need to challenge our belief systems. We need to challenge the stereotypes that we hold. As we know, in terms of violence against women and girls, this is an all-of-society problem, and we need an all-of-society approach. Rape is something that is almost taboo in many societies in terms of talking about it, acknowledging it, recognizing it. I think we need to take that out of the closet. We want to bring down the wall of silence, to send a message to the women who continue to live in the shadow of fear that they are not alone, that we will not tolerate violence against women. We have a duty, I have a duty as a man, as a son, as a, a brother, to stand up for the rights of women and girls wherever I see those rights being abused or violated. We cannot allow this situation to continue. My experience shows that gender-based violence is something that appears in every war and conflict situation. And my problem with that is that it is against basic human rights and dignity. And so it's used as a tool in war and conflict and it needs to be stamped out. I believe that the United Nations needs to continue to implement educational and informative program uh, in the world with the support uh, from national governments. A lot of women in societies never see justice. This is something in particular that has to end. The UN, in its daily work, continues to fight for gender equality by standing up for the rights of women. That was an insight from the UN on why these goals in tackling gender-based violence are important and what the UN are facing around gender-based violence. The 16 days took place worldwide from the 25th of November to the 10th of December under the global theme Orange the World, Fund, Respond, Prevent, Collect. In Bristol, there were many events in support of these goals, on consent, on female genital cutting, even on gender and killer robots. Amongst other things, this week's episode will highlight two of these important events. Hope you enjoy! On the 22nd of October, the right-wing Polish Constitutional Tribunal ruled that abortion, on the grounds of severe and irreversible fetal defect of incurable illness that threatens the fetus's life, was unconstitutional. 98% of abortions in Poland are carried out under these terms. So this new ruling effectively prevents all pregnancy terminations. This triggered protests worldwide. More than 100,000 people gathered on the streets of Warsaw. The pictures are staggering. And the protesters were met with excessive force and violence by government forces. This prompted a reaction from societies on Bristol campus. Her Campus Bristol collaborated and co-hosted an online letter-writing workshop to the Polish government with Bristol Feminist Society and Bristol Amnesty International. Here's Freya Mutua from Bristol Amnesty giving more insight into these issues. Welcome everyone, it's so nice to see so many people here. Um, So welcome to this week's letter writing. So throughout the year, just to give you a bit of context, we run like weekly letter writing sessions on a Wednesday. 
um, where we pick a different case study and kind of write a letter to a different official person. Um, but this one's a bit of a special one, which is really exciting. So we've collaborated with FEMSOC and Her Campus Bristol, and we're writing to the Polish government about the recent changes to the country's abortion laws. Poland has one of the most restrictive abortion laws. They're one of only two 27 European member states uh, that do not allow abortion on request or on broad social grounds. Uh, so already women's right groups estimate that about 80 to 80,000 to 120,000 Polish women in abortion. So they seek an abortion abroad every year with just uh, 1,000 legal terminations carried out in Poland. So it kind of gives you an idea of the disparity between the amount that happen and the amount that are legal. Uh, the ruling law and justice party has repeatedly moved to curb sexual and reproductive health and rights, including through a bill that has have enacted a total abortion ban. So along with details about the struggle Polish women face for their own reproductive rights, we had a hugely inspirational and motivational talk from Anya, who avoids using her full name, who played a huge role in organising the protest for Polish abortion rights in Bristol. Thank you so much, everyone, for inviting me to this event. And um, I'm very moved that um, all of you came here today and you are here to to, to, to write a letter to the Polish government. Um, it's really important for me and I'm sure that it's also really important my fellow Polish women who um, are there fighting the fight basically as it continues because I think that the whole idea about the, pro- the protest was to um, basically show solidarity with our fellow women. So my name is Anna, I was born in Poland a long time ago, I'm not going to tell you how long ago but it was a really long time. Uh, I do identify as a strong female with a lot of love for pride. A bit of background. Um, the Polish community is around 30,000 strong in the Bristol greater area. Polish um, is the most spoken foreign language in the UK. The right to abortion was taken from Polish women back in 1993 and was gradually tightened over the years. However, the recent almost complete ban on abortion rights has led to an amazing phenomenon observed in Poland. So I'm talking about the unity of many of them seemingly very, very different uh, social groups and social environments. So women, men, young people, LGBTQ plus community, football supporters, older people, they all have said enough to the increasingly fascist-like Polish government. Uh, the encouraging bit of information was that at the moment the implementation, the legal implementation of the of the restriction is still on hold. So so that's good. But we know that the government are just playing with us on time. Basically, they're trying to so to say um wait out through the protests, which are by the way still continuing in Poland. So. I really appreciate that we can spread the word about it. It's really, it, it really overfills my heart with joy when I see you um, here on Zoom, all these beautiful young faces. You are the future, don't forget it. Always trust yourselves, do good stuff that you can believe in. That's all that I really wanted to tell you. The full talk is on Bristol Amnesty Facebook page and Noah's article on this, featured on her campus Bristol, has a full summary of Anya's powerful words. Both will be linked in the show notes below. In terms of the letter writing, everyone used a pre-written letter from Amnesty, which went as follows. 
Dear Prime Minister Matus Moraviki, I'm writing to you as I am deeply concerned by the use of excessive force on peaceful protesters marching against the abortion laws in your country. The Polish Constitutional Tribunal issued a ruling further eroding reproductive rights. This is the latest manifestation of a coordinated, systematic wave of attacks on women's human rights in Poland. The ruling prompted a wave of protests across the country, led by women's rights groups. For the past four weeks, protesters have faced excessive use of force by police officers and some have been subject to arbitrary detentions. On 18th of November, the women's strike protested gathered in front of the public TV building in Warsaw to protest what they consider to be a smear campaign against them. According to the video footage, police kettled peaceful protesters and used pepper spray directly into their faces. 13 protesters were detained following this protest. This raises concerns that as women's strike protests carry on, the police will continue to resort to excessive force and, and criminalisation of peaceful protesters. States have a duty to enable people to exercise their rights to freedom of peaceful assembly. The right to freedom of assembly and participation in such assemblies are protected by Poland's constitution. As such, law enforcement agents must facilitate those wishing to protest peacefully. I call on the Polish authorities to protect the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and to put an end to this excessive use of force by police and arbitrary arrests. Yours sincerely, Dulcie Godfrey. People additionally added their own personal paragraph to the letter, a few of which were published on her campus. Here are two read by Sophie Spitz, president of Amnesty Society, and attendee Tallulah White read by themselves and her campus editor, Yasmin Gledhill's paragraph, read by me. I'm devastated by the tribunal's decision that tightens what were already some of the strictest abortion laws in Europe. The law puts women's bodies under attack, stripping women of their power to take decisions over their own body. Instead of safeguarding and protecting people's rights, Poland's constitutional court has contributed to violating them. I'm even more devastated by the use of excessive force against protesters, denying them their right to peaceful assembly. I was deeply disturbed when watching the footage of peaceful protesters cornered by the police, beaten and pepper sprayed. Some of these women were only 17. You should be ashamed. The world is watching. We are watching, waiting for our fellow sisters to finally be free from constrictive gendered laws prohibiting them from practicing safe healthcare. We should write future for Poland. Women should have the moral right to decide what to do with their own bodies especially as banning abortions only puts women at further risk by forcing them to use illegal and often dangerous methods of abortion. I cannot believe women still have to fight for such rights. Women have had enough and their rights cannot wait. Here in Bristol, I stand in solidarity with Polish women in their struggle to secure their rights and the freedom to peacefully protest against their government's actions. The full event, the articles and the societies will be linked in the show notes below. Holograms are not something I predicted to be talking about on this podcast. Anything remotely science or technology-based sends me running. However, Alice Carslake's article, Hologram Controversy, unusually sparked my interest. Luckily, she let me ring her up and talk about it. Is this on? Yes, it is. Let's talk about Kim Kardashian. I just found it so crazy when I saw on my Instagram that they'd made, like, that somebody was rich enough to literally make a hologram. For somebody's birthday. Just in case you didn't know the context, Kanye West gifted his wife Kim Kardashian a hologram of her late father for her birthday. 
I also thought it was really weird. Like, I mean, obviously I can't speak for somebody else, but I'm just not really sure that I would find, I think I would find it really weird if somebody really close to me that had died then like without me it was a surprise as well so I don't know just suddenly came on stage and started giving me a birthday message um I thought it was really interesting though I just thought it was so nothing that I can relate to ever happening in my life yeah I thought it was really interesting and so I wanted to find out a bit more about it that's true it's like there is something like almost gothic but technology technological about it because it's like it's like Frankenstein but computers yeah really weird literally it felt like really like dystopian like big brothery I don't although it's not it kind of is I don't know this idea that you can like create a, an entire human being so close to like the I mean what from the videos unless you know it's a hologram like there is something slightly like they not quite right about it but I think that definitely watch it not know who Rob Kardashian is and just think it's somebody like giving their daughter a happy birthday message and not know like the context of what it is no exactly and that's where sort of the ethical questions you raise in your article that like, come from like there is no like without context you don't know it's not real exactly yeah I think that in, in and what I say in the article as well is like obviously in this situation it's fine because everybody there did know the context so I think that in this situation it's fine there's I wouldn't say that there's many ethical concerns with it other than just how like crazy it is that it can happen but when I was thinking about it I was imagining if my grandma was watching the news and like what looks like Boris Johnson came on the screen and started talking to her about stuff I don't think there's any way first of all doesn't have particularly good eyesight (laughs) so she'd be able to tell if it looked a bit weird and like she would have absolutely no idea what a hologram is so she would have no way of knowing that that is not really boris johnson telling her the news which i find absolutely terrifying yeah which is like super dangerous if you think about it and you know i feel like i'm constantly living in a black mirror episode right now but you relate like holograms to black mirror specifically do you want to talk more about that because i think that's linked. yeah so um one of the episodes um in the in season five um, it's called Rachel Jack and Ashley Two, and it's about um, it's got Miley Cyrus in it, and she's playing a like a well-loved pop singer. There's loads of like artificial intelligence like throughout the episode. They create a robot doll of her that like is half sentient. But at the end of the film or the episode, the aunt who's like taking control of her artistic license and stuff creates a hologram of her to do the live performances to make sure that she's still like performing the music that they want her to be looking at and I think I think that that was an interesting episode because I think they were quite clearly commenting on like Miley Cyrus's life and the way that it was controlled but I think that the use of holograms like really highlights how technology just enforces that control and like that steals your identity in a way that nothing else in history really has before yeah because there is absolutely no consent because you're either you know not involved in creating the hologram or if you're in the case of rob kardashian you're dead so it's yeah yeah and also like they've used holograms i think they started using holograms for like dead um performers A, a few i think last year they did one of whitney houston and um like it was really, really unpopular. And you can't really create the lifelikeness of a human being with technology. So 
because I think everyone just came away from the performance from the reviews that I've read sort of just asking like why they've done it like she isn't alive anymore she can't perform live so we have to find another way to celebrate her without trying to like recreate her life because it just doesn't work and it's really like discordant yeah that's true I think there's probably better ways to like memorialize someone than to like try and reanimate them in this sort of gothic way and with like designed like if we're getting a bit you know pessimistic like recreating political figures or important figures to say what you want them to say like you said with um, Rob Kardashian it was clearly written by like Kanye West it was definitely not something he's ever said so yeah it's, it's very interesting I really liked your article I don't, yeah I mean I think the only other thing that I found really interesting when like researching it was that they had this like digital ethicist maybe it's a bit, a bit more of an optimistic point I think that I didn't even know that that existed like that role but I think that that's quite hopeful the fact that there are people out there that their like specific role is to make sure that people aren't overstepping the mark so obviously like in the creation of this somebody down the line somewhere decided that it was okay Kanye West to make this because nobody was going to be confused by it but there are people out there that are, are setting like sanctions and stuff to make sure that it doesn't like go completely out of control that's really interesting I had no idea that was that, that was a job well, that's some, yeah, exactly. that's some hope for the future, I guess. <laughs> the full article and where you can find Alice will be in the show notes below. Twenty twenty has been a turbulent year for the trans community. The first transgender senator in America, Sarah McBride, was elected to office. J.K. Rowling's degrading comments towards trans women was met with backlash from celebrities and the wider trans community. However, there's been a surge in incidences of transphobic violence in the UK, and turf organisations like Women's Place UK have garnered more and more support from large organisations like Lush Cosmetics and the University of Oxford. Actor Elliot Page announced that he is trans. While doing this, he also brought to light the crippling numbers of transgender murders and suicides in the US. And still, he was misgendered by news outlets, namely The Sun and TMZ. The legal action against Tavistock and the restriction on access to puberty blockers is another example of the fight transgender people face every day for recognition and safety in their own gender identity. It is essential that these acts of violence are acknowledged and confronted. It is an integral part for the battle to end violence against women. For too long, the narrative around female abuse has not addressed instances of transphobia, and without this, little will be done in creating safe frameworks for gender equality. In November, we had a Trans Awareness Week and Transgender Day of Remembrance, an important centering on trans issues. In the spirit of continuing the dialogue further, co-producer Alice Lang gives an important summary on an important event. But first, a short account from people's own experiences. Because I grew up in Newcastle, so I was like the only trans person that I knew of in the local area. It was in the town centre of Liverpool. Because I was different. I used to get a lot, a hell of a lot of hate. Uh, this guy came up to us and was really aggressive. And I was walking to work and got followed by a gang of boys. And they kind of surrounded me and um, pushed me around and calling me like every name under the sun, like every cliche. This group of boys started pointing at me and laughing. And they were like, quick, 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 look. Um, and then they shout, like, that's a man, that's definitely a man. I tend to get a lot more kind of homophobic slurs than I get transphobic. So, I mean, repeatedly I'll get called, like, a fag or a faggot or a queer. Um, and they then started shouting. 
one of the boys that had pushed me around earlier had followed me to work. He came up to me when I was on the till and said, can I get your number? And I was like, you just pushed me around earlier. Like, no, I'm not going to give you my number. The situation got so serious that I had to physically put myself behind a barrier. And then one of the train staff intercepted and called the police. And then he shouted really loudly, like, everyone, like, this person's a boy. And then one of them picked up a can of lager that was unopened and, like, just launched it at my head. Um, and then it, like, hit me in the head full force. It was like a big sudden foot and I like fell to the floor and then they all ran away laughing. Due to technical issues, Alice is unable to give her own account of the event, so I'm going to read her words for her. Last week, Bristol Femsoc and the SU's Trans Network came together to give a mindful and insightful panel discussion on the trans experience of violence and its diminishment as a feminist issue as part of the 16 Days of Activism. Voices included Sean Fay, journalist and presenter, Kaz Self, the trans pride rep for the South West, and student voices Maddie Coward and Sean Amakudi. What was consistently emphasised was the systematic nature of violence towards transgender people, namely microaggressions like misgendering and the alienation of trans people in the healthcare system. Maddie pointed to what she called the trans broken arm effect, when, regardless of what someone may be going to the doctor for, the fact of their transness will impact the care they receive. Sean also highlighted a lack of funding that has led the waiting list for the Southwest Gender Identity Clinic to be six to ten years long. This is why one of the best ways an ally can support the trans community is through financial means, as recommended by Sean. Giving to GoFundMes and transgender organisations can help avoid these systematic barriers. Allies also need to start actively challenging the transphobia they witness. Whether it be a seemingly harmless joke or clear misunderstanding, it still gives offence. For example, dead naming someone, or validating a person's transness by how much they match up to gender norms. It is necessary we keep listening to the trans experience in any way we can, and a world of trans media has become available over the past few years. Our recommendations are the authors Juno Dawson and Imogen Binney, as well as TV shows Pose and Disclosure, both available on Netflix. For those seeking support within the trans community, the Bristol SU Trans Network is welcoming to all those questioning their gender, as well as TransCAF, a grassroots social group for trans and non-binary people based in Bristol and the South West. All the links and the full event will be in the show notes. For our first instalment of Ask Her, I noticed a question about someone considering entering into a long-distance relationship. Luckily, someone, who I'm going to call Gabby for this episode, was kind enough to give insight into their long-distance relationship, and offer some tips and tricks on the topic along the way. I think people will either like actual long distance relationships or like coronavirus mandated long distance relationships because like you can't necessarily see everyone you want to see. Since having been in one or being in one right now, what's the things that's made it work for you? So we obviously like when we got together, we knew it was going to be long distance. We kind of went into it being like well we're not gonna we could have seen each other after like two three weeks but we were like that's otherwise we're just gonna get like reliant on it being that amount of time so then we left it six weeks and it's always it's always week four that it's usually freak out right. and like tiny little things become big things but then both are, like, we're not annoyed with each other we're like annoyed about the fact we can't see each other yeah. little things like like oh like one time I was like yeah I'll call you in 10 minutes 
I'm just gonna go brush my teeth, get ready for bed. And then I was 20 minutes because I had a chat with my flatmate. And then he was like, you took ages, oh man. And I was like, chill, chill. <laughs> I think maybe those little things become big things because you're not necessarily like in person to like just talk about it. Yeah, but we've done, we do a lot of like little date nights where it's basically just watching because of Corona, obviously. Like, we sometimes just get, like, a delivery, watch a film. So that's virtually? Yeah. Oh, nice. Which is nice. But then it's, like, the balance between... Because, obviously, it's our last year at uni and neither of us wanted to miss out on being with our flat and, like, doing stuff like that. So then, like, it's the balance of trying to make our, like, schedule of, like, when we're free work scheduling difficult. time together and then scheduling time where you're not thinking where you're not yeah because like it's kind of working better than when I was in a relationship that was very close on because we're like spending more time with all my mates and stuff rather than being like completely reliant on that person so interesting so it's like uh delegating your time like evenly mm. and accepting that when yeah. you're not seeing them you're not seeing them you're doing other things and we do what else do we do I think We've like done study with me where we have each other on FaceTime and do work, <laughs> which actually helps. Yeah, but then usually one of us gets distracted and then that's not so helpful. But <laughs> so if someone were to be entering into a long distance relationship, what advice or what like maybe not a warning, warnings is the wrong word, but what challenges did you face which you would warn someone about? But I think the biggest thing that we've learned after it's only been like four months, but is like if we have like a few days or even a week where we argue not to like because the first time it happened we were both like what the fuck like we don't argue and now we've had like a week where we've argued every single day and then just one day just we kind of had a conversation about it and then it was fine after that just like not overthinking the arguments and when you do overthink the arguments just being because obviously they're on facetime and phone just being like let's not talk about it now because we're both just going at each other to leave it and then speak to each other tomorrow I think it it would be like the timing thing and like appreciating that you're in different places and your your like schedules are not going to match up and stuff oh I think one thing it sounds weird but when you're long distance and you're arguing like we always say say to each other when we see each other after ages it's like oh you're like a real person again because like they just become like someone that you just call in the evening and then so when you're arguing you kind of because you're over the phone you almost become like a bit of a keyboard warrior and you just say stuff that you don't mean at all that would be one thing I think and to end on a positive note what do you enjoy about a long distance relationship that you maybe wouldn't have if they were in your vicinity planning to see each other and then having like almost like a week before you're planning to see them where you're like so excited and something and actually seeing them is amazing Definitely. If you have your own questions to ask, there will be an anonymous form linked in the show notes below. And if you feel you can give insight on a topic, you can direct message us at Her Campus Bristol on Instagram or look out for commissions on Her Campus Bristol Facebook page. All the links will be in the show notes below as always. been listening to her podcast with your host Dulcie Godfrey. All the societies, contributors and events mentioned will be listed in the show notes below as always. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate if you could give us a like and subscribe. 
or maybe tell a friend about the podcast if you think they'd enjoy it keep up to date with all things her podcast on instagram at her podcast bristol or if you have any ideas or things you'd like to see on the podcast just dm us there and we can see if we can feature it thank you so much for listening